Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, hey, I'm Chris Shandro, the pastor at Compass, and I'm so glad you joined me. Thanks for being here with me. So this may come as a surprise to you, but did you know that every single adult used to be a child? That every single grown-up you know was once a little kid? I know, it's crazy, but it's true. Your dad could have been a butterfly in the school play. Your boss... She probably sucked her thumb. And I can say with absolute certainty that the person you are sitting next to right now has pooped their pants. Because we were all kids and we all had kid experiences. Tell you what, let's do a little exercise. Take a minute and think about your childhood to back when you were really young. So before you were a teenager or before middle school, just when you were little, what pops into your mind when you think about that? What do you remember about being a kid? Maybe it's riding your bike around the neighborhood with your friends. Maybe it's your Barbie dream house or going outside in summer nights catching fireflies or or watching Saturday morning cartoons that you recorded on VHS. I know that's that's my generation, but, but other generations might be different even though they still have memories. So maybe for you, it was playing with your Furby or watching Gilligan's Island or going down to the soda fountain to get yourself a soda pop for a penny. Whatever it was, I bet that your memory of childhood was a fond memory. And I think that's because we tend to idealize childhood. And it's these fond memories that make people want to go back to a simpler time when things made sense, when things were better. Because everything would be better if things were like they used to be in the good old days today, right? I mean, that is unless... You're one of those kids at the turn of the century who had to work 12-hour days in a factory. Or if you were a kid in the 50s who hid under your desk uh, for atomic bomb drills. Or if you were a black kid in the 60s. Or if you were a latchkey kid in the 80s. Or if you were a kid who watched the Twin Towers fall. Or if if you were a kid who was either killed, injured, or traumatized by a school shooting. I mean, apart from all of that, things were better when we were kids, right? I think when we look at it that way, we can realize that childhood is more complex than we realize. But even so, we can also see that that we've learned things from all of these imperfect childhood aspects. I mean, kids in America don't work in factories anymore. Race issues are still far from perfect, but schools are no longer segregated in the same way that they used to be. And these lessons take time, and some are definitely still in progress. But there are things that we can learn from children that can change things for the better, even if it's just learning not to poop our pants. So today we're moving into a section of the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus uses the lives and experiences of children to teach us something about the kingdom of God, about how he sees the world and how he wants his followers to live in it. And we're going to start in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This really isn't a surprising question for the disciples to ask because Jesus has confirmed to them that he is the Messiah, that he is the new king of Israel who they think is going to come and overthrow the Roman oppression that the, king, that the nation of Israel is under and that, that Jesus, this new king, is going to set up a brand new kingdom of Israel over which, again, he will be king. And because he's going to be king, they want to know how they fit into this. Now, this question makes sense when we know that in the ancient world, 
honor and status were everything. The disciples had been raised in a culture where they'd heard heroic tales of soldiers and statesmen and kings, these strong men who used their power and status to defeat their enemies. The disciples had very little power or status. And so being connected to Jesus was a huge opportunity for them. And as a result, they wanted to know who's going to have the most status in Jesus's coming kingdom. But they weren't just asking this generally. I mean, look at how the same story is described in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 9.46. It says, an argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. So the disciples weren't just generally wondering, you know, how one might be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They wanted to know which one of them would be the greatest when Jesus became king of Israel. The story continues in verse 2. So Jesus called the little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The way to be great in the kingdom of God is to be like a child. Now, this is a statement that Jesus makes that is simple and straightforward, right? but it also seems pretty subjective. I mean, it seems like what this statement means really depends on how you view childhood. Our culture sees childhood, again, as a, as a time of innocence, when, when kids see the wonder of the world and, and they aren't burdened by the worries of adulthood. Uh, it's where, where all of their needs are met and they get to just play and explore. Now, if that's how we ch see childhood, we might look at this and, and think that being like children means that we see the wonder and beauty of God and his creation. To see the world through the, the innocent eyes of a child who doesn't have to be concerned with the problems of the world. And there may be some truth to that. Others may subjectively see children as completely dependent on their parents to, to take care of them, meet all their needs. And so for them, being like a child means not leaning so much on their own independence and learning to be dependent on God. And there's some truth to that too. But I think to really understand the heart of what Jesus is saying, we need to move beyond this idealized view of childhood that exists in our culture and understand how children were seen in the culture of the ancient Greek world of the first century. Because it was really different. Now remember, the culture of the ancient world, they valued honor, they valued status. And as a baseline, being an adult man meant that you had status. Just being a dude was enough to move you up the ladder of honor. Even the lowest status man had more status than women and children. In fact, women in the Greek world had lower status because they were considered to be deformed men. And what little status women had was defined both by the men in their lives and by their ability to have children. So gender and patriarchy affected your status. But children, on the other hand, they had no status. In the ancient world, children were basically treated like slaves. I mean, they were loved by their families. Their, their parents loved them. And they were even cared for in their small communities. But they had no status or worth to society at large. Children were vulnerable and dependent. They had no power or anything to offer, particularly little girls. Newborn girls were often thrown away thrown away to starve or, or be eaten by predators, or they might be sold into prostitution at an early age. And all of this was because families didn't want the expensive burden 
of another daughter to raise. And in the same way women were considered to be deformed men, children were considered to be half-human, not fully formed, at least until they reached puberty, which is troubling because it means that adults didn't want to be bothered by kids until they were able to be sexual partners. The Greek word that's used for, for child in the passage we're looking to, at today is the word pideon. And the reason that's worth mentioning is because pideon, that word, has no gender attached to it. In fact, in the ancient Greek that the New Testament was written in, almost all the words for children were neither masculine or feminine. It means children weren't he or she, children were just it. The language of gender really only became applicable when children reached sexual maturity, which was when they had access to their first tiny little bit of status. So, knowing all of that, let's go back to the disciples. They ask, which one of us is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? It has to be one of us, so which one is it going to be? And I just imagine Jesus saying, okay guys, I'll tell you what, gather around in a circle, and I'll answer this question for you, but come on, bring it in, get in a circle right here. And then I imagine Jesus slowly pointing around the circle at each disciple, kind of like a game of duck, duck, goose, where all the disciples are hoping that they are the goose. But then Jesus stops and he says, wait, 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 hold on. Do you see that little girl over there, that, that three-year-old? Bring her over here. Come on, make room, make room. Let, let this girl into the circle. And once the little girl is in this group of men, Jesus again starts slowly pointing around the circle, passing by each disciple one by one until he stops points right at the little girl and says, Goose, she'll be the greatest. And if any of you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to be just like her. And then Jesus says this in verse 5, And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. The disciples would have been shocked by this. Like, wait, Jesus, this child has no status. It has no honor, no power, and nothing to offer. It can't even take care of itself. How in the world would someone like that have a place of honor in your kingdom? And why in the world would we welcome more people like that who have no status? They're just going to weaken your kingdom. Because that's how the world works, right? The people at the top are powerful, educated, talented, rich. These are the types of people the disciples thought should have been great in the kingdom. But Jesus is a different type of king and his is a different type of kingdom. It's kind of like a game of dodgeball. If the world was picking teams, then the world would pick the strongest and fastest kids first so that they would have the best chance of winning. But in the kingdom of God, we pick the weakest, the slowest, and the most vulnerable, even if it means we lose the game. I mean, Jesus's team could never win a dodgeball game. But in God's kingdom, when we lose like that, we actually win. Because the win isn't defined by defeating your opponents. The win is defined by welcoming those who have nothing to offer us. It's, it's becoming small and unimportant ourselves so we can elevate others. It's only by releasing our status and letting go of our pursuit of it that we then become great in the kingdom of God. Because, and here's our point, in God's kingdom, the greatest become the least so the least can become the greatest. We only become great when we want others to be. We don't get status by what we accomplish, but by who we elevate. And by humbling ourselves to welcome and protect the weak, the vulnerable, and the insignificant. Let me show you the best example of this in Philippians 
says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave up his status and power to take the very nature of a servant, which this passage describes as being made human. And what kind of human? Well, Matthew 2.9 says this, And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. So this is the story of the wise men finding Jesus when Jesus was just a little child. See, Jesus became a servant by becoming human, and he became human by becoming a child. And it's interesting that the Greek word used here for child is paideon, the exact same word Jesus used to describe the child in the story we're looking at today. Jesus humbled himself to become a weak, vulnerable, powerless child, exactly like the one he brought before the disciples. But it doesn't stop with Jesus humbling himself. Let's continue this passage of Philippians in verse 9. Therefore, because of what Jesus did, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, when Jesus became weak and vulnerable to serve the weak and vulnerable, he then became the greatest in the kingdom of God. And in doing so, he shows us what the kingdom looks like. And he lays out the template for how his followers are supposed to live. To lay down our status, our privilege, and our power for the good of those who have none. God's kingdom is upside down. It's not survival of the fittest where the strongest race to the top. It's the opposite. It's a race to the bottom where the strongest stand for the weak. It's downward mobility where those who have status give it up for those who don't. Where those who sit at the center of things give up their spot to welcome those on the margins. Where people who are at the front of the line switch places with those at the back. It's the church that Jesus is building here at Compass. Where the nursery matters more than the stage where who we care for matters more than who we attract, where our acts of service matter more than our social media profile, and where how, how we love others is more important than the height of our status and prestige in the world as a church. So may Compass be a church where welcoming the least of these is more important than everyone knowing who we are. And may we be people who elevate the status of others rather than pursuing our own glory. And may we have the same attitude Jesus did, understanding that the path to greatness in his kingdom, it only comes when we embrace weakness, vulnerability, and dependence so that we can then welcome it in others. May we, at the end of the day, be like children in the kingdom of God. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. 
If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 